Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God used miracles to bless his people and advance his kingdom. In 2023, we're believing God for miracles that will testify of his love and power so we can know him and let him be All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Man, wasn't that fun? Child dedications, loving these babies, praying for them. Man, we are excited here at Luminous Church this morning. My name is Ben Chapman. I have the opportunity to help lead this church as the pastor and uh, one of the pastors here. And we're in a series called Miracles. Everybody say miracles. Let me hear you kids say miracles. Okay, I heard some of you. I heard my boy over there. Miracles. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9 this morning. Now, what I love about Fifth Sunday and I love about bringing the kids in here is the brevity of the sermon begins to happen because, because people start getting a little restless. So welcome to a short service. Hallelujah. And, uh, but, but we're going to make sure that you receive something that is, is food for your soul this morning. That is thirst for, for any for for your that is something that'll quench your thirst this morning. I'm I'm excited. We we end our fast. If you didn't know this, maybe you're a guest with us this morning, but we've been fasting for 21 days. We've been praying Monday through Fridays for the last three weeks at 6 a.m. Come on, yeah, yeah. And it's been incredible just pressing in and just asking the Lord to come. And, and it's been even cool because some of our kids have actually participated in the fast. Some of them have, uh, have gotten off their screens and had no screen time during the fast. Some of them had no sugar during the fast. You know, that's hard for a fifth grader to do. And yet so many people participated, believe in God to move in this year. And, and really our hope for this year in this series is that in 2023, uh, we are believing God for miracles along with our other Every Nation churches across the globe, our family of churches that will testify to his power and create new opportunities for the gospel to advance. And our hope and prayer during this miracle series is that as we recount the signs that Jesus did, that it would continue to increase our faith and point us to the author of the one who, who wrote the signs and performed these signs. Amen. So that's what we're believing God for. Now, we're in the book of John. We're in this, this book, this gospel according to John. It's not the gospel of John, for it's, it's Jesus' gospel, but it's the gospel according to John about Jesus, the Messiah. And, and he wrote this, and he let his intent be known which is not found in every other gospel account, but in John 20, 30, and 31, it says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen, church. This is what we want, life in his name. This book was written so that we could understand Jesus. And when we see these signs, when we read about this miracle in just a moment, that it's not just something fictional, but it's a historical event in time for a supernatural encounter when God intervened. And, and in essence, when heaven invaded earth. And as we read this 
something inside of us hopefully awakens or illuminates to what is being written and these stories start to become palatable to us and we hold to them. There are many moments that Jesus moves in signs and there are six specific moments in the Gospels where he opens blind eyes. Not just one time, not just twice, but there are six accounts and we're going to read about one of these accounts in John chapter 9, 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles, we're in the English Standard Version, or it'll be on the screen and you can follow along there. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and everybody said, ooh, and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. There's a few things that I want to highlight, a few points for us this morning out of this scripture. Now the life of Jesus, as we jump into this passage in the middle of John, where is he? Well, we find him in Jerusalem. We find him at the Feast of Tabernacles. Seven days long, starts with the Sabbath, ends with the High Sabbath. Seven days, or maybe either way, but I don't know. But Sabbath to Sabbath is is the, the Feast of Tabernacles and And this is a moment where Jesus starts to make his ministry even more public. It's about the last six months of his days on earth. And up to this point, you may remember Jesus was obscure. When you remember our first Sunday that we talked about the water turning to wine, that Jesus didn't want his disciples to go tell everybody about that. But as word got out, as it would if all these healings and miracles took place, right? Popularity began to grow and he began to get more popular and people would find him in in remote places on the countryside. Not just some, not just dozens or hundreds, but thousands of people were beginning to follow Jesus. There was talk about him within the city, People would know about him. It was equated if you take San Antonio, a million plus people, Jerusalem, a million plus people, and you take that amount of people, and they're all getting wind of Jesus. They're getting to know him and understand who this is, and they're talking about him in the streets and in the houses, and his popularity is growing, and, and now he's moving into a place of opposition. The last six months of his ministry, it was this moment where he knew he had a mission to do which was to fulfill God's call on his life, to give his life as a ransom for many, to give his life on the cross and to die an innocent death for those who are guilty. And so six months, the opposition starts heating up. He's not as obscure. 
He's starting to get around, and the Jewish leaders are starting to see him, and they start to scheme. And there's this moment in John 9, as we read, where blind eyes are being opened. The first verse is that we see Jesus in this moment. And we see this moment where he actually sees the blind man. It says that Jesus saw the blind man. He saw him in his condition. And this is important for us to note. And I think oftentimes as we are self-reflective and we're on our journey and on our walk, how many of you are busy? Just five of us? I mean, I'm busy. I feel like I'm so busy there's not enough time for the task at hand. I'm busy. And when you're busy, sometimes it impairs your vision, doesn't it? Sometimes you don't see the need around you. And yet Jesus, by his great example, sees the need that's right beside him. It wasn't the disciples who noticed this, but it was actually Jesus who began to see them in this moment. And my question for us this morning to be reflective and to be pensive is to ask ourselves this question. How do you see people? How do you see people around you? And our busyness and COVID is gone and traffic is going and the mall is crazy. It feels like we're just passing by people like a fast time lapse. And in this moment, if we can learn anything, we learn that Jesus sees people. And he doesn't just see people, Jesus sees you. Everybody say, Jesus sees me. Jesus sees you. The truth is, the reality is, is that in our condition, in our state, where we are, whether you're a kindergartner, a fifth grader, a college, a young professional, a parent, an empty nester, that Jesus sees you. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just pass by, but he stops when he sees need. He stops in this moment and he stopped for you and me in our lives when he saw our need. And he, and he moves in this place and he sees this blind man. And then his disciples ask him a question about the blind man. They said, who sinned? His father, his mother, him, who sinned that he would be born blind? And this is something that we have to look at very carefully because oftentimes in certain Christian denominations, we be, they, certain Christian denominations or, denominations or churches believe that if you have some ailment, it's because there's something unrepentive within your soul. If you have some need, some special need, blindness, deafness, something crippling to you, it's because somebody sinned and did something obvious that was passed down and is creating this ailment in your life. And I want to encourage you is like we have to be careful of such dialogue, don't we? Because the truth is there are moments in our life where there is ailments that happen from sin. And you know this to be true. You know if you were to do something really bad, right? This is G sermon this morning. If you do something really bad, there's going to be a sinful consequence 
for that behavior. And sometimes it falls on you because of your own sin. But in this moment, Jesus wanted to address something. He says that I see this man and I see him, but there is no sin in this man. He talks about the fact that, that no one sinned, but actually this man who is born blind and me coming across him right now will actually display my glory as God moves on his behalf. And we find this to be true in every testimony. And I know people who've been addicted to certain substances and God gets a hold of their life. And there's these ramifications in their life that happen. And Jesus comes in that situation and circumstance and begins to heal them and change their life. Where they were once lost, now they're found. Where they were once had this awful testimony, now they're testifying about God's goodness and his glory. This is true that when there are setbacks, God is always setting up himself to be glorified in the situation, around the situation. And in this moment, Jesus explains this, and you can go back and reference Luke chapter 13, where there were two awful events that happened. There was this, this event where Pilate ended up murdering a bunch of Galileans as they were making sacrifices. It's a gruesome story in that one verse, and, and it was an awful event. And then a few verses later in Luke chapter 13, he talks about the tower falling and killing 18 people. There are moments that happen, right, where, where death happens, where life happens, where towers fall and destruction happens and all these things, but but no one sinned. It wasn't because a sin fell upon them. But instead, Jesus says this. He reminds us that in death, where there's pain, there's a moment to repent and turn to God so that your future will be guaranteed as an inheritance in heaven. This is good news. You see, if we were to go out without in this world and we were to be agnostic or we would believe in some other religion that is a self-help religion or whatever we do by our own strength, earn some kind of heavenly glory or nirvana, it could be very defeating because we find ourselves falling short over and over again. We find ourselves messing up and then we look at the world and you know people like this. There's doom and destruction and there's all these bad things happening. Bad things all around us. And without hope, bad things would lead to depression, wouldn't it? Without hope, Without an answer, without a solution, we would find ourselves looking at these tragedies and events feeling helpless. But what I love is Jesus came to those who were helpless and he brought hope and restoration to them. It's an incredible moment. Jesus doesn't just see the condition, but Jesus touches the condition. Jesus doesn't just see you, but Jesus touches you. He moves on behalf of you. This is what we see in this scripture is that in this moment, having said these things, he spit on the ground, he made mud with saliva and he anointed or he touched the man's eyes with mud. There's this moment where Jesus touches his condition. 
And I'm going to tell you, if you want any condition in your life healed, you have to let Jesus start working on that condition. And there are these moments where we are believing God for these supernatural touches and healings and encounters where he touches our blind eyes and deaf ears and in these supernatural moments. But I want to tell you, there's also these things that, that are in our life that are secret, that are hidden, that we're keeping from him. Jesus sees you. He sees your condition. He knows it's there. How many of you ever try to hide something from God? Maybe not today, but you've done it before. I, I think that's all of us. God, please don't find out about that one thing. Not that one, God. Let's just forget about it. Jesus sees you. And yet he still comes in your pain because he wants to touch you. He wants to touch you because he's shining a light into darkness. And that's what we see paralleled here, where Jesus touches a blind man so that his eyes would be open. He says that I am the light, which is likened to light in darkness. And the things that are dark in your life that are hidden, Jesus wants to shine light on. And he wants to come and he wants to reveal. And why does he want to reveal it? Because as he reveals it, as he begins to display it, what happens is his healing touch comes. He begins to touch it. And then he moves us into a place through steps of obedience where he tells this blind man, I want you to take some steps of obedience and I want you to go wash your eyes in the pool of Simone. Simone and uh, I don't know, you know, probably should have looked phonetically how to pronounce that, but. And he goes and he washes in this pool. This pool is unique because this pool is pure water. It's spring water. This pool is what they would actually sprinkle on the altar. It would reflect the idea of living water coming over the altar. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, you're blind. I'm touching you. And now I need you to take some steps and begin to be washed by the living water. And this is what Jesus wants to do to you. As he reveals, as he begins to touch, and he sees your circumstance, your circumstance is exposed. The thing is hidden, is now shown and revealed. And now he's washing living water over all that was destroyed in your life. This is what he wants to do for your church. He wants to touch you with living water. Turn to your neighbor and say, he wants to touch you with living water. And in this moment, the man comes back, and he comes back what? Seeing. Seeing. When Jesus comes to you, and he sees you, and he touches you, he begins to open your eyes. You come back seeing so that you can live sent. You realize Jesus wants to send you. Jesus wants to send you. I want to go back to John, and I want to read something unique here in the scripture. It says this in verse, in verse 4. Let's go to the verse 3. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. 
night is coming. We must work. The Greek translation right here is unique because what happens is, who is this we that he's referring to? Some people would say that he is referring to the disciples within this context. But as you read it, it could also be interpreted that he's referring to the man that he's ministering to. And I would say that it is both. This we is the the disciples who are following Jesus, but also the one who is touched. That we must go do the work that he's called us to do while he is still with us. I want to tell you that God is opening blind eyes, opening your life to see him in order for us to participate with him. So that we could go on mission. He opens our blind eyes because he wants us to move on mission with him. We must move on mission with him. Later down, and you can read this this week in John chapter 9, is he begins to... And this, this, this blind man didn't even know who it was who really touched him. And he starts testifying about this man. And then Jesus reveals himself. And, and not where his eyes just physically healed, but his spirit began to believe. And his, his, his soul eyes were opened to a belief in Christ in this moment. And he begins to get changed. And all of a sudden, he starts testifying to these Pharisees, those who oppressed Jesus, about how good Jesus is, how great Jesus is, how amazing he is. And you realize in this moment, he was sent out because of his blasphemy. He was sent out from the synagogue, from the temple, and he could no longer worship in there. But Jesus was saying, there is a greater one to worship. And it is me, it is Jesus. And there's a moment when the true worshiper will worship in spirit and in truth. Amen, church. And this is what God begins to do in this moment for this young man. And we must be a part of it. We must be here. While there is still light, let our light shine before all men. You are a city on a hill. Don't put it under a basket. Don't go hide it, but shine bright so that a whole world may see what God has done in you and how he set you free. Amen, church? We must. Everybody say, we must. We must be a people. It's why our values are stated in the way that they're stated at our church. And we're not unique to any other church. We're partnering with so many churches in the city. I love the Christian churches and the churches in our city who point to Jesus. And I'm grateful to be a part of that. But we wrote our values in a way to to invoke challenge amongst our people within this place. It's this. We will be a people who shine the light of Jesus. Not you will shine the light of Jesus, but we. Don't you hate when, when you're like on a team? Everybody said, man, y'all really messed up. Oh, man, you dropped the ball. Oh, we would have had it in overtime, but you. I want to slap those people, to be honest. Just repenting, exposing it, let Jesus touch it. But the truth is, is we're not on mission alone. We're on mission together, church. We. So every time I, say, I hear somebody say, I or you, I say, don't you mean we? My staff knows this and I try to bring everybody into this. We will be a people shine the light of Jesus. We will light the world. 
We will be a people who see Jesus and actively help others know how to follow Jesus. We will do that together. We will be a people who choose joy no matter the situation or the circumstance. Joy will bubble up out of us. We will be a people with big faith, mountain-moving faith. None of that, none of that lackluster, lazy faith. You know what I'm talking about? You know, faith on Sunday, but not faith on Monday through Saturday. No, we're going to be a people with big faith. Everybody say, we will have faith. We will be a people no longer ruled by sin, but ruled by Jesus. We will be a people who believe in freedom. We will be a people who walk God's calling of spiritual family and reject the idea of disposable relationships. And when everybody else wants to give up on you, we will say we will be a people who will not give up on you. I'm going to invite Tori and Rob to come on up or whoever it is as we get ready for communion and start preparing our hearts. But we will be the family that God's called us to be. I'll never forget my friend who's caught up in an addiction and I would text him and call him. He didn't answer. So what did I do? I said, you know what? We don't give up on people. So I went to his apartment and I started knocking on the door. I sat there five minutes knocking on the door until he answered. There he was, riding his addiction. Sat by his bed, talked to him, prayed with him, believed in him, spoke life into him. You know, it's incredible what God can do in his community and his church when we don't give up on each other. We will be a people who fight for the unity of God's people together. We will keep fighting for unity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. We believe this. Church, would you stand with me this morning? And I want to ask you a couple reflection questions. With every head eye and head eye, with every eye closed and head bowed, I, uh, I want us to experience a little bit of Jesus this morning. We read a... Uh, real narrative we read a real narrative about Jesus and his touch how he can heal a blind man but I want you to ask Jesus a question I want you to do this and the way that I often do it is Jesus and I ask the question and then I wait for a response and usually he wants you to know something or do something out of an experience with him. Maybe it's no more of his love, no more of his character. Maybe no more of him. Maybe it's for you to do something this week. But the two questions I want you to ask Jesus this week. And even right now in this moment, is there anything that is in me that is blind? So I want you to just ask that question. Jesus. Is there anything in me that is blind? Jesus, is there anything in my life or any person that I'm blind to? Pray that with me. Jesus, 
Is there anything in my life? Is there anybody around me that I'm blind to? You may speak, Ben. You're blind to that neighbor. Ben, you've been hiding that one thing. I want it. So church, look at me real quickly. And maybe you got an impression. Maybe it was a name. Maybe it was an image. Whatever it was, I want you to write it down. Um, right after we take communion. Could I get a communion element? Will, thanks. The last thing I would say is, our, thank you, sir. The last application that I would encourage you with is, I think sometimes we don't have the words to speak to people around us. You ever get like evangel, evangel nervous? You know, nervous to evangelize, share your faith. We have cards about Luminous right here. And it's not to simply invite them to the Palladium or building. But my prayer is that when a card is given, that there would be an inquiry and that the Holy Spirit would draw them and Jesus would touch their life. And so we'll have those available after service. But if you would, grab your communion elements. And as we do this, I always like to pre-open mine because it's really difficult. But in Luke 24, 28, I love this moment in Luke 24, 28. Because what we see is we see Jesus coming back and he just ascended from the tomb. He's walking on the road to Emmaus and he goes up to two of the disciples. And what does he do? He, he says, he, he begins to engage with them and, and they invite him to eat. And as they begin to eat, they take bread and they break it, and they have a moment of communion with what at the time they didn't know is Jesus. But in the moment that they took the bread and the communion, and the moment they were eating with them, there was something burning in their hearts. And what it says is, I wanna read it to you in verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. It says this in verse 31, blind eyes and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he taught to us on the road, while he opened, while he opened to us the scriptures? Church, this morning, my prayer is as we reflect on this morning, we reflect mostly on Jesus. That actually all of us would be on Jesus in this moment. And that his body was broken. And right now that our hearts would burn. And that our eyes would be open. And where we have not seen, would we see him clearly? So if you would, take your bread and let's bless this. Jesus, we thank you for your bread. Your body that was broken for us. You made a way. 
when there seemed to be no way, you made a way. So, Lord, we bless this. We take it. We break it. We remember you in Jesus' name. You may eat of the bread. Jesus, likewise, says when we meet together, take the cup, representative of his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This week matters not unless he died, blood was shed, and he was resurrected. Blood has power. Jesus' blood has power over your life. So we take that with that mindset and with that heart and would our spirit begin to see the forgiveness of sins over our life. He forgave us. He made wrongs, erased them. And living water comes and springs forth because of what he did. Jesus, we take this cup. We thank you for your blood. We bless it in Jesus' name. Amen.